0: Welcome to Watch the Throne. What a lovely day. This is episode two, Two Days in the Valley from 1996. I'm Mike Manzi.
1: And I'm Joey Lewandowski, and here we have... We talked about it a little bit last week. We go from wordless... Glorified extra. Glorified extra to not a star, but there's no real star of this movie, Mm -hmm. but a prominent featured role where if you didn't know better, you'd be like, oh, this woman's been acting forever. Like, it's just... She's just a main part of this movie. It's like, whoa, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's a... I guess this is her breakout role, you would call it, because she
0: does go from like zero to 60 with this movie, basically. Basically, like... Where'd she come from? Nowhere. <laughs> like, she's just automatically on the scene holding her own with, like, you know, all these other established actors.
1: And so, what I said I was going to do on the last episode to sort of see if I could track where she went or how she got from wordless extra to primetime player, I looked on her wiki, I looked in sort of her history, and I found some facts. Nothing that shows what happened here, but some things that I found. One, at least, that you know, or actually a couple at least that you know about because I talked to you about last night. I did not know that in June 1991, one, uh, Charlize's father, an alcoholic, threatened both her and her mother. attacked her mother, and then her mother shot and killed him, and was ruled self-defense and got off, which is crazy to me.
0: Yeah, I remember hearing about that uh, not too long ago, actually. Uh, but then wondering, like, where did this news come from? And apparently, it, it was sort of out there the whole time. But what a experience to draw from. I don't. I mean, is that possibly, you know, having these life experiences? to draw from, like, make you a better actor? I don't know. But that is intense and quite unfortunate and crazy and scary and all that stuff.
1: Also, as a kid, uh, she had jaundice, which I didn't know that people still got, but I guess, you know, in different parts of the world, maybe that's still around. Due to antibiotics, her teeth rotted away and had to be removed. And she said, I had no teeth until I was 11. I had these fangs because I had jaundice when I was a kid. I was put on so many antibiotics, on my teeth rotted, they had to cut them out, so I never had baby teeth. Which is also kind of crazy. I guess her teeth... Like, I think she has real teeth, but I guess just all of her baby teeth are gone. Maybe the front teeth. Maybe, like you were saying, maybe the front teeth are fake. I don't know.
0: That's what I... That's the other thing. Like, I had just heard a rumor that she had, like, lost her front teeth or something. And, I mean, it, it all travels back to this source. But, yeah, I mean, nowadays, you look at, like... <laughs> I mean, everybody's got the uh, implants now, actually, anyway, right? The older they get. If you look at Iron Man 1 and then you look at Spider-Man Homecoming, it's like <laughs> Robert Downey Jr.'s definitely
1: got some sweet new teeth. Well, we've also noticed on this podcast, or this network, that both Cage and Zach Efron have gotten their teeth fixed, so yeah. uh, it's it's not uncommon. She got a modeling gig in Milan, and so she and her mother moved, I think, from South Africa to Milan and then moved to America, where she trained as a ballet dancer. Oh, so I'm excited to see Charlize if she's going to dance in movies. We're going we're gonna to get to that, I hope. But then a knee injury ended her career, and so she then bought a plane ticket and flew to L.A. with her mother's money to become an actress.
0: Nice. Well, I guess fate stepped in. <laughs> you know, hurt her knee so that she could follow the stream. This is kind of stupid, but it's just funny how, like, knee injuries. For some reason, my mind went to the wrestler Goldberg, who was, like, an NFL player and then, like, okay. busted his knee, but then became, like, this enormous, like, breakout wrestler for a while in the late
1: 90s, early 2000s, I guess. Goldberg is a Charlie Theron of wrestling? <laughs> Possibly. I don't okay. know. So after she flew to LA, she was cashing a check at a Hollywood Boulevard bank cashier would not cash the check and she just started to, got to a screaming match and so the guy literally behind her online as the story goes was an agent and he gave her his card Apparently she fired him pretty quickly because he just kept sending her screenplays like uh, Showgirls and Species. And so oh, just man. like, I guess, like, you know, either terrible movies or... That got made. ...movies or, you know, maybe ones where she just had to be naked all the time. Who knows? But... Well,
0: Showgirls definitely is like a full-on nude scene the entire yep. movie, but Species was like a, a cool sort of crazy alien Geiger type of creature that comes to Earth and, like, Michael Madsen hunts it down.
1: So that's, that's, that's unfortunate, I guess, in terms of, you know, depending on what why she didn't like that. Maybe she just wanted bigger things. But another, the only other, th- the fact that I read early on in her career that I, I took note of was that in 1999, apparently Playboy bought pictures of her when she was a model before she made it big, and they ran them in her ma- in the magazine as though she had just done them or something. And she sued hmm. the magazine nice. and lost. Whoa! Oh, yeah. So they are still out there. Uh, but yeah, she. I guess when she was a model, you know, when she was. 18 19 whatever before she was an actress or a known actress mm-hmm. uh she did some like topless modeling and i mean again we'll get to it in this movie she's topless in this movie and the sort of the implications of all of that just it just sort of sucks that you know 1999 you know after the devil's advocate after she's a pretty big name already uh, Playboy's yeah, like, hey, like check out this actress who just posed for us. It's like, no, she, you know, this is a while ago or whatever. So that kind of sucks.
0: Yeah, that that blows. But I mean, at least she fought it. <laughs> you know, that's cool. Like she has balls. Like she's definitely a tough person. And like just from the screaming match at the bank story, like you could tell, like she's just not gonna take shit, and she's gonna just try and protect herself as best as possible. I suppose. But just glad to hear that she tried to get that taken care of if possible but yeah you, know, you know what the hell playboy like <laughs> like why can't you just say like these were pictures from before she was famous or, or however I mean it's just weird that they added that like lie to it. it is strange I mean yeah just... I don't I don't know the context yeah are they gonna sell less uh issues you know based on what's written in the no I don't think so I don't I don't know
1: all in all in all my research I still had no sense of how she got from featured extra to primetime player as I keep saying but I think your guess is probably as good as any that's she just started nailing auditions this movie Two Days in the Valley was written and directed by this guy named John Herzfeld mm-hmm. who I don't think I, I don't know if I've seen another one of his movies but of important note at least to me my co my Zack Attack co-host Joe 2, one of his all-time favorite bad movies is Casualties of Love, the Long Island Lolita story.
0: Oh, Amy Fisher?
1: <laughs> which was also written and directed by this guy, and so I told no him shit. He, he freaked out about that, so... Which Amy...
0: Who plays Amy Fisher? Is that the Drew Barrymore one? Uh, let me see here. Hang on. By the way, I was, like, alive and in kind of a kid, I guess, when that happened, but that was major with but- Joey Buttafuoco and, you know... Alyssa Milano. The, oh, that's the Alyssa Milano one. Wow, yeah, Then that, that's, you know, they made two. They <laughs> it was sort of like Volcano and Dante's Peak. They had it was going on with the uh, Long Island Lolita back then. So I saw that and I was just like, cause I was
1: like, who is John Herzfeld? And I looked. Oh, I the only other movie of his that I'd seen is this uh, Sylvester Stallone movie from a couple years ago called Reach Me, which was terrible. What? And I was like, "Uh, <laughs> hmm, Never like, heard he's, of he's that. not the, he's not the star of it. He's just like a supporting character. It's super weird. There was you're like a kind of in it, yo. Just yeah."
0: <laughs> I'm a glorified extra.
1: <laughs> but I was like, who is this guy? And I was like, oh my god. Because I'd never heard of that movie, except I know that Joe loves it. So uh, awesome. here we are, Two Days in the Valley.
0: Great. Great. <laughs> Back at the Valley, man. I mean, come on. It all kind of started here with Valley Girl and...
1: We are your friends.
0: We are your friends. Like, so many (laughs) references. I mean, even Keanu ended up with his uh, body buried up to his head
1: in the Valley at one point. (laughs) That's very true. There's very important beginnings and endings in the Valley in the Caves Club Podcast Network history. I feel like this movie, on a whole, really wants to be a Shane Black movie. I thought early Mm. on because it came out in 96 two years after Pulp Fiction I felt like it wanted to be a Tarantino Pulp Fiction sort of movie and Mm -hmm. then I was like no like that's not really what it's going for I think it's trying to go for that like Shane Black like funny charming you know action with a mystery set in LA movie and like It just doesn't work. I remember when this came out, and this was definitely marketed
0: as, you know, if you liked Pulp Fiction and, you know, irreverent hitmen running around, getting involved in day-to-day stuff. If you want more Eric Stoltz. (laughs) There you go. If you love these stories that interconnect and cross over at certain times, it might be told out of order. You're going to love this. I, I hear you, man. I think, like, nowadays, this feels more like a Shane Black rip because we got that great Shane Black film about, like, a year or so ago the uh, the nice guys and yep. the, i could totally feel like a lot of that in here why, but there's just too many characters to pull that off that's what's so great about the nice guys it's like it's this buddy cop kind of or right. buddy detective thing and it's basically just these, these two guys uh bouncing off each other. Here, there's just it just kind of gets lost in the
1: characters.
0: And yeah, I, I liked it a lot more back like 20 years ago when I first watched it, but I don't feel like it aged well at all.
1: Is it weird to think that you haven't seen the movie in 20 years? Like, that seems mm-hmm. crazy to me, right? That
0: blew my mind, like sitting and actually thinking about it and how much I actually remembered this. And I remembered renting it on VHS and, you know, uh, wow. and then remembered watching it again on cable. It has been a long time since I've seen this movie but i gotta tell you like i remember 90 percent of it it's crazy how much i recalled i was watching it going like i feel like i just watched this yesterday or something i
1: feel like it's memorable because a lot of the things are like close to being cool or close to being like there's just it's little deviations that sort of eh. like and what's also <laughs> kind of frustrating is that there's some people who are really really good in this movie i think like yeah i, I don't think i'm too biased in saying this, but I do think that Charlie's might be the best part of this movie, or if not the best, one of the best parts. Okay. I think Terry Hatcher is really good in this movie. I think Eric Stoltz is really good in this movie. And I think the twist that Terry Hatcher is in on this murder, which we'll get to, I was like, oh, like I didn't expect that at all, which I thought mm. was I don't know if I was just into the movie or thinking about my recast game or whatever, but I was like, oh, oh, okay. And mm-hmm. so it like as the movie went on, like there were more and more things I liked about it. Instead of liking the movie more, I kinda got a little more frustrated and like, well there's so much that I like, I don't know why I don't like the whole thing more. Mm-hmm other than just not really liking the Danny Aiello stuff, like, at all.
0: Oh, really? See, I was just going to say, I could have just watched a movie of the Danny Aiello stuff. Really? I I mean, or pick any one of these threads, and let's just streamline this thing. I feel like there's stuff in here that's totally superfluous. Like, you could make this movie without the Eric Stoltz, Jeff Daniels characters. Absolutely. You know, you could pull so many characters out of this movie and make it much cleaner and better. I mean, you could even just pull out that whole Danny Aiello stuff, and, and the movie will play fine as well like uh, there's ways to work it around and and we'll get to them but the teddy character like (laughs) what is up with that thread like there's just so much stuff here it's just too much like too many ideas and it feels like a guy who thought that maybe he'd never get a chance to say anything again so unfortunately like what he's trying to say feels lost in the mix
1: it's just it's weird because like it feels like for a while it's kind of like an anthology movie like check out all the different mm-hmm. ways of like the seedy underbelly of LA kind of but it doesn't really get like super dark but it's like hitmen and affairs and like out of town hitmen and like maid <laughs> guys and like a suicidal writer and like like so it's sort of like look at all these different stories that don't really interact with each other sort of kind of like New York I love you
0: like I we knew Mur- it I Shia, knew it we're right? gonna go to Valley I love you I want that so bad now that you said it and and I totally agree man this would have worked way better if there were just vignettes I think that's why Pulp Fiction works is he balances the tone way better he breaks it up with chapter cards he they're almost like his especially Pulp Fiction it's almost just like three short films in a lot of ways like you could just watch any part of those and just be like okay that was great here you can't here you can't just like take a story thread because they intersect and and intercut too much
1: it's cool when things intersect in a slight way where like Jeff Daniels is at the stoplight James Spader shout out to Cinemaker shout out to Sex Lives and Videotape pulls up next to him and Jeff Daniels is playing with that water gun and I'm like, oh look, like these are two threads, they don't interact, they don't really get in touch with each other for the rest of the movie. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. The where the movie falls apart is that they're like, We have all these like these six different stories and they're all gonna converge in one. It's like, well, that doesn't have to happen. Like we don't exactly. have to wrap everything up. It works sometimes, but then other times it's sort of like the geography doesn't really work where like and I'm jumping way ahead to the end, but like, you know, Charlize gets shot and then somehow like stumbles from that hotel to the house. I'm like, oh, how yeah, far yeah. away was that? Like like she, yeah, like, yeah. you know, on her, like, last breath, staggers seemingly across town, across <laughs> LA. Or, or if not, like, up a giant
0: hill... <laughs> <laughs> while shot in the And in gets to the, the
1: house Before everybody else Who were like in cars Driving to the house Like it's like What is happening
0: Yeah in a lot of ways It feels like this movie Was reverse engineered From the ending At Because t- <laughs> like It's like I know I want everybody To be in this climax But how do I get them there And a lot of it Just becomes way Too coincidental Like the uh, suicidal writer He's at like the graveyard And he runs into that woman The nurse right. And the nurse Just happens to be The art dealer's Stepsister And he, she was on her way over And when they get here is the same guy who's being held up by Danny Aiello and held hostage? Like, it just feels like it needed everything to connect, and it totally did And You needed to have some characters who never even saw each other, didn't even know they existed. Yeah, it just feels like it had to get this done. And you're totally right; like, they did not all need to converge.
1: And it's like, when when she's like, "Oh, I'll, I'll drop. I'll, I want you to meet my brother, who's going to take the dog." I was like, "Oh no, that's almost certainly going to be James Spader," and I'm like, "No, oh, like it just, it's just twist. one step ahead of James Spader." You know what I mean? It's just like. Mm-hmm. Oh, like I knew oh, that yeah. it was going to be somebody we knew, I just guessed the wrong person. Watching it this time,
0: here's what bothered me story-wise early on. So early on, James Spader and Danny Aiello are these two hitmen, and they're going to kill... Terry Hatcher's They're going ex. to kill Terry... Yeah, so they're going to kill Terry Hatcher's ex-husband. And after they do that, James Spader is gonna shoot Danny Aiello and blow up blow him up in a car and well, frame him for that murder, right? We, let's
1: oh. pause let's pause for one second. Oh. So Okay, okay. So James Spader is like an out-of-town hitman, I think, right? Who's been brought in. Oh, no, in. I think
0: it's the reverse. He's the L.A. guy, and Danny Aiello's, like, from New York. A uh, guy from New York, yes. Yeah. I thought they were
1: both out-of-town. Maybe, so, there's also an added wrinkle to this, is that there's, Charlize is, like, referenced as this, like, Norwegian. You know, uh, Swedish. Helga. Swedish. Swedish. Eastern European blonde who's like involved in this somehow and at the beginning of the movie we see that she's dead she's topless covered in blood in a photograph and I'm like oh I'm like I don't think she's dead because I know she's in this movie but like maybe they're all flashbacks or something so I was like oh we got another death but I wanted to clarify the way that I got I, I guess I guess it makes more sense that James Spader is an LA hitman but it almost seems like Daniel came in to like he's, it's almost like he's an actor studying for a role and taking a ride <laughs> along with a cop he's just like hey like let's see how you guys do this out here here, but he's yeah. not doing anything. Like, James Spader is looking through those binoculars at Terry Hatcher's house. Daniel is not looking through them. He's just like, hey, what's going on? Like, he's literally saying, hey, what's going on? What's she saying? What's happening? And then we don't get answers. Like, we see it as the viewer, but James Spader's not letting... So, it, like, the whole thing <laughs> is weird. Yeah,
0: yeah. the setup is already a problem, and we're not even to the issue I wanted to bring up yet, which is crazy. Like, uh, these guys feel like I want to have just, like, these Tweedle dumb kind of thing. I don't know. It's like I want these guys to be funny and snappy, but I also want them to be threatening but it just doesn't make any sense to me, basically. Like, I don't get the dynamic between these two. I don't know why they're well, working there together. Isn't
1: a, you don't get it because there is no dynamic. Like, they don't have a history. Yeah. They're basically strangers who are just thrown in a car together.
0: Yeah, and that doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have all the same issues, so, like, I'm not on board with these two this time around as to like, what is happening. I'm just getting, I'm basically just, like, constantly confused, even though I know what's gonna happen. My big problem though that i i I had is like after danny aiello survives his car bombing he goes to those people's house and is like the guy who did this is going to come after me and then it's like no he thinks he's in destroying you like later on there's a scene where he's like ah I blew him up in the car he's done for <laughs> so I knew when that came out of Danny Aiello's mouth like there were going to be big story problems coming along like lots of plot holes like instant convenience just because we have to yep. get on with it stuff like that was going to occur I sort of like backtracked in my mind I was like well that's why there's no character development they just really just jump in with the stuff like we just want to let's just open this movie with a guy getting shot in the head next to his wife sleeping in bed you know like, mm-hmm. let's just do it. It doesn't matter. But that's just what we want in our movie. <laughs> we'll work it out.
1: Two little things. That guy, so Terry Hatcher's ex husband, who gets killed at the beginning of the movie that sort of sets this movie off, he was in Children of the Corn. So <gasps> oh, that's a pretty nice. cool, weird, cool connection. Because I was like, who is this guy? The first and his, Children of the Corn, right? The first like, Children of the Corn, yes. Yeah. So I clicked on his name on Letterboxd. And it's not, you know, I don't know what he's the star of, but his most popular movie that's been in at all was Children of the Corn. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. But in terms of Daniel, why I didn't like him at all in this movie is that he falls into that trap that I've had a problem with in a lot of movies lately where I'm not offended by bad language at all, but I am offended by the l- use of bad language as a crutch. Like, look at this New York guy. He's cursing every other word because, like, that's <laughs> how he talks. Like, look how real and authentic this is. It's like, well, no. Like, this year I saw The Sopranos. I'm like, they all, like, obviously curse and they all, whatever, but, like, they are also people who don't, aren't, like, stereotypes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. so it was difficult for me when I was recasting that part, and we'll get to this at the end of the sh- the end of the episode, the recast game, is like I had at one point James Gandolfini there because I think he could have done a better job, but I was like no, this thing like, is below him. Like, I don't want to put him <laughs> in this movie, like he would be elevating it too much, like you kind of need, an, and I think what I landed on is pretty good. It bothered me how lazy that felt.
0: Yeah, I think the movie's filled with that with every character, though. Every character in the movie is set up with one note like that. Danny Aiello, like, oh, he also also has a stupid name, Dosmo, instead of Cosmo or whatever. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like just because, just to make him sillier. Like there's no explanation to that. He's the cursing guy from Brooklyn, eh? And then you've got James Spader who is the uh clockmaster from arrow or whatever like he's got his one minute rule when he kills somebody you got Eric Stoltz who's like the co- the vice cop with a heart of gold you got his partner who's just like super strung out you have Terry Hatcher who's the four time or like she comes in fourth place all the time in the Olympics like that's her only defining characteristic I was like
1: why are you an Olympic skier where did that come from just because she needs
0: a character trait like literally like everybody just has like this one thing that makes them who they are you know like Charlize Theron is
1: just this beautiful sort of Marilyn Monroe type. I had Marilyn Monroe in my uh, recast originally. I was like, no, I can't take her. No, we got to get a little, (laughs) I think we should keep it to people who are either alive or just like modern. Well, We'll see. So, so one thing I do want to talk about—you sort of li- led me right into that—is that this movie. And I, I'm trying to wear my feminist glasses when watching these movies now, especially with uh, Charlize at the front and center of everything we're doing. This movie is terrible to women from start to finish. Oh,
0: absolutely horrible. So,
1: a few, a few notes. I'm Terry Hatcher does not wear pants for the first hour of the movie. Right. She finally puts on like little, sort of like bicycle shorts by the end.
0: Oh, and her uh, ex-husband in like one of the opening scenes is like groping her and like getting a little practically trapey. like yeah. Ugh. I was, like, ready to turn it off.
1: (laughs) And she's like, no, 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 no. Charlize is first shown, like I said before, topless in bed, covered in blood. And he's like, look what happened to your ex or whatever.
0: In a photograph, even. Isn't even appearing on screen in in Alive or anything, but, like, is a picture of her.
1: Later on, when we next see Charlize, I mean, she's also, like, in this abusive relationship with James Spader, where, like, it seems like she's kind of into it, but I feel like that's just sort of, like, convenient writing.
0: (sighs) We We gotta sort of, like, decode this whole, like relationship triangle thing happening with her and terry hatcher's husband i don't know what is going on with the
1: north koreans what <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll come back to charlie's in a second there's also uh the mousy assistant played by glenn Hedley, who is susan in this movie she is so did you watch when we did it for zack did you watch new year's eve have you seen New Year's yes eve? so yes, I have. she reminded me of michelle pfeiffer in that movie where oh. it's just like Oh, like I also had Michelle Pfeiffer as a choice for recast, but I didn't do her. She's very clearly a beautiful woman that they like frizzied up her hair and put glasses on her. Like, oh yeah. She, look she how, she's look all how that holy her. she her. Exactly. In like but like never gave her the break free. The only one who sees her true beauty is Danny Aiello. He's like, "No, you're beautiful." Like, fuck that. Like, you're beautiful. And I'm like, "Oh, like that's <laughs> But like the whole movie, she's just like this weak, beaten down woman who kind of has a redemption arc at the end, but also her redemption arc of just driving off in the sunset with a made man feels weird. Like, that's It feels like a victory. It feels like a. He sees you for who you are, and that's cool, but like he's also kind of a bad guy, sort of. Right.
0: He's a killer. At least, like the guy she was working for, he might have been like a British asshole which was his only defining trait, who screamed a lot. But like, I don't know, it seems like you're trading a screaming, abusive relationship for one of a danger and always being, you know, having to look over your shoulder if you're going to be with this other guy, which also seems kind of abusive.
1: It's very strange. And that's pretty much it in terms of women. There's like the three women in the movie and that's it, really. Uh, oh, the nurse. The nurse is okay. I mean, the nurse isn't bad. She doesn't yeah. have much to do. Then there are those two
0: real detectives. Ones, I think one of those is a woman, but those guys, oh, they Carrey's get partner? shot. Yeah, they get shot like right away or something.
1: They totally didn't need to be in this movie. No. So so getting back to Charlize in terms of that relationship, so I think what happened, this is a very complicated murder plot, and I don't understand what happened, really. Which is a
0: problem. Before we get into it, I just want to say, like, if your movie is going to be jumping across, like, lots of storylines and intersecting and being complex, you need a basic... You need the story to be very easy to understand. The audience needs to know what's going on, even if the characters in the film haven't caught on yet. Like right. again, I think that's why Pulp Fiction works really well because it's really easy to follow. Yeah, even though you're jumping around,
1: it feels more complex than it actually is. So here's the plot as best, the murder plot, not the plot of the movie, but the murder plot, which is most of it, which happens before the movie starts. So see if this is right for the most part. Terry Hatcher is married to the guy from Children of the Corn. They get a divorce. She is well off. She's paying him alimony. He has great life insurance or something. So she cooks up this plan to have him killed. Yes. Part of this plan, for some reason, is to get Charlize to start dating him. This is where it starts to get so confusing
0: because she's like I was at the Olympics and saw you with Charlize and (laughs) he's like oh did that make you get fourth place or whatever and I was like, why is she trying to convince the guy she's trying to kill that she's not in on it? Like, I don't understand what her cover, why she's covering for herself. I am i can't follow it. I don't know why he's questioned about meeting Charlize Theron in Switzerland and the North Koreans. Like, and then did he lie about that? And like, what did that confirm? And what is happening? I don't know. I can't understand why they want it to be so
1: complex with such a simple idea, you know? Right. Just... Make it simpler. It's not helping. She hires James Spader to kill Children of the Corn Guy. Part of his plan is to get Charlie to date him and then when they all come back to LA from the Olympics, Terry Hatcher knows that they're going to kill him at some point. They don't know, or she doesn't know that they're going to do it in her house and so Danny Aiello and James Spader go James Spader because he's like I guess kind of he he feels like this character trait feels more like a serial killer than a hitman he's got like his thing and his thing is like you have a minute to live and you're gonna answer questions and if you lie you die it's like okay (laughs) reminded me of The Watcher with Keanu I don't know why this is happening he drugs Terry Hatcher so she gets knocked out he kills Children of the Corn Guy he drives off And he shoots Danny Aiello in the stomach. And Danny Aiello is wearing a bulletproof vest, we find out, twice in this movie. Same vest, I think. Same vest, probably. Then, like, basically pushes the car off. No, sets a bomb that's in, in the trunk that is going to blow up the car and at the last second Danny, Danny Aiello jumps out rolls down the hill we don't see and it. lands in the uh, art dealer and his assistant Susan's house or whatever
0: backyard yeah
1: so this is that's a really roundabout way of saying I don't know why Terry Hatcher doesn't say hey James Spader kill this guy he's like alright cool and then just does it I <laughs> like that Charlize is in this because she's good in this role but like I don't know why her character is involved in this plot yeah it's
0: really strange I don't know what it is it, it's just it's needlessly complex. Like, you're absolutely right. Like, this movie could have been five minutes long. <laughs> like, it could have just been like, kill my husband. Alright, bang. I mean, this is just all about weird characters doing illegal shit behind other people's backs and trying to be like a dark comedy about the valley and the weird characters going on and the CD underground that you're not aware of. I don't know, I just feel like a lot of this just falls really flat. Like, everybody is just playing it too big. Re- everyone's really drawing a lot of attention to themselves to the point where it's almost like distracting at times. I don't know. I'm having I'm having issues <laughs> with a lot of this movie.
1: What further sort of complicates things is this like weird love triangle. Like it it feels like James Spader thinks that Charlize. In setting up Terry Hatcher's ex-husband to die, James Spader thinks that Charlize developed feelings for him, or Mm -hmm. at least that they actually had sex, and so he's taking out all this like impotent rage on Charlize. She looks cool and badass in the car when we first see her, but he's like already kind of like choking her, and it's being you know uncomfortable and rough sex, yeah. And then we go back to their hotel room or their motel room or whatever, and she comes out of the bathroom in lingerie Uh, and i think this is probably unfortunately why she was casting so many things so quickly is because like look at her like she's beautiful in the scene and like also really good they just start having like rough sex that she's not into but james spader is just like a really bad guy but like it takes so long i think for him to get what's coming to him and he's not in the movie enough that it sort of feels like when he does die it's not like a relief that he's dead it's like a Oh hey look, the suicidal writer killed him like look look at the triumphant <laughs> victory for him. It's just like,
0: yeah. Wow. dude that was I was totally thinking of Twin Peaks to Return at the end of that with like the surprise save with a bullet. That's totally just, like, what it made me think of. When Lucy comes into the sheriff's office at the end and shoots Mr. C, I was like, oh, that just happened. Again, man, I'm just gonna keep saying it. There's just too much to follow. Like, I would have loved James Spader and Charlize Theron and just do Terry Hatcher and then you get two of the cops in there and that's it. And, like, let's just follow this demented, like you said, hitman and his weird girlfriend and their crazy relationship and what they do. And, like, you're probably right. Like, this guy's totally Impotent. That's where he got the minute thing from. He's probably got a small dick and only lasts like 60 seconds. And so, like, he's developed this whole threatening persona about having control of time and all that kind of bullshit. He's got this knockout girlfriend, but he can only control her through being physically abusive. It's just too much going on with like all the other things to really connect to this because as they're starting to develop and, like, you're getting into it, they cut away to something else. Like, in the middle of their sex scene, like, they literally fade to black and go to, like, another scene with a whole other group of characters. And that's just very jarring. Like, I was just getting into this. Like, I need more time with everybody, like, in a row. Like, I think there's too much editing going on between the segments. Like, let us sit with these characters longer and then move on for a while because... I can't just keep coming back and
1: forth like this. There's, there's too many of them for me. It's the whole thing we've been saying, like, why not streamline, right? Like, why not yeah. in any way? Like, it seems like every decision along the way was made to
0: complicate things. What worked for me was, like, when the British guy was having the, uh, like, stomach pains, and we find out that he passes a kidney stone it's just because, I guess, it's in there. But what was cool is, like, as he's writhing in pain in the middle of the road, there's this carjacker across the street,
1: and the carjacker,
0: right. like, goes over, picks him up, and, like, puts him in the back of the car and presumably drives him to the hospital I was like that's great moments like that are good but they're few and far between and that's where you could have had like your stunt casting or your cameos or stuff like that uh, other talents are being wasted they're just like running their course like in in a corner until they're ready to collide at the end of this and create like a big wreck i didn't expect to be so hostile towards this film to be quite honest with you like it watching it it's just stupid and dumb and just kind of like a flat gangster comedy i guess but thinking about it now i'm kind of like like all around about it.
1: (laughs) I've got to say this. I watched this movie last night starting at 1130. It's a two hour movie and I didn't even come close to falling asleep. Like I I sort of expected at any point in the middle I was gonna be like, okay, I need to pause this, finish this in the morning. And like I was watching without pausing the entire time. So like there's something about this. I think it just keeps moving. Like even though you're Mm -hmm. not enjoying it or fully enjoying it or fully invested or whatever, there's so much happening. And also when I'm watching these movies now and thinking about like, well, who does this actor remind me of? Who can I recast them? As it's like this other level of like active viewing that like kept me engaged and like it's not good. Like I don't think you should see this movie. I think that if you want to see this movie, you can see it for free. At least as of when we're recording this, you can watch it for free on Amazon Prime. I guess sort of see the Charlize scenes. She's got the scene in the I guess watch the hotel scene, even though it's sort of unfortunate. She's really good in that. Then watch the other scenes because like the other scenes we can talk about those now. Like she's oh, really really scene? good. The fight scene is awesome.
0: Yeah, that's pretty amazing. They just beat the shit out of each other. And, like, I was not... I did. That's probably, like, the 10%, part of the 10% I didn't remember about this movie was just, like, how hard they go at each other. It's like that movie The House that came out this year when the two
1: girls, like, fight each other (laughs) for fight night. I was like, holy shit, they're like Krav Magaing. Yeah, so Charlize is basically left to babysit. So this is after we find out that Terry Hatcher is in on the plan. She starts using the word they instead of he like the killers they and jeff daniels who is probably the worst character in this movie he's also filled with impotent male rage maybe that's what this whole movie is about just like different ways that men are broken his wife left him right that we find out the very very end of the movie
0: yeah and that he's uh psychologically unfit for duty so he must render his badge
1: i think that's because the wife left him like i think the wife left him and he just like lost his mind there's a golf course across (laughs) Across the the street street from his house. (laughs) That's terrific. golfers keep breaking his windows. And so he pulls a gun on these golfers. And the one that they focus on is like this young black golfer. And I'm like, huh, L.A., two years after O.J., this seems not great um, and like you know he doesn't shoot the guy but it's still like oh this is sort of a menacing use of cop privilege but I was also like you know there's throughout the entire thing it's like you know he's just yelling at Eric Stoltz he's like this is where I grew up this is where I live this is where my family is like I'm not gonna let you know massage parlors be in the valley and he's like, yeah. trying to clean up this like underbelly and trying to take down we see this like probably 20 year old or 18 year old Vietnamese girl who is super sweet and like not crossing lines and Eric Stoltz is like supposed to go in there and get like a happy ending and then, like, bust her. That's going to take down this establishment or something? But, like, even Eric Stoltz, like, immediately is like, this isn't how this is going to get done. And so then when they go to investigate the murder of Terry Hatcher's ex-husband, you know, Jeff Daniels is so angry, not at, like, the just at life, that he's mm-hmm. not paying attention to details, and he's just furious at Eric Stoltz. That's what I am saying, like, Terry Hatcher's using, like, they, like, the killer's they. He's like, oh, no, that's just how people talk. But then that's how Eric Stoltz is like, oh, I think she's in on it. And so yeah. it's, like, these little things where Jeff Daniels, like, we don't find out until the very end that, like, his life is crumbling, crumbling, but like you said earlier, like, just get rid of him.
0: Yeah, there's absolutely no reason for him to be there. He's an obstacle. It's just very strange. It's like, I don't want this movie to tackle issues. Like, why are you bringing up cop killers, and and I don't want any of this to be ripped from the headlines. Like, let's just keep it on this Olympic athlete who wanted her husband killed. Don't bring in OJ, don't bring in Rodney King, don't bring in any of this because it's really like, don't bring in this writer who wants to commit suicide I mean, I think that's a cipher for the guy who wrote this movie. I think he's <laughs> like I wrote this movie and now I want to kill myself. You're dragging me so down like in the middle of something that's supposed to be like a black comedy or something dark and humorous and and as soon as you start bleeding that much into the real world, it's just it's I can't come back as easily like I can't snap back. If you're going to go from that scene of jeff daniels to danny aiello cooking pasta while he's holding people hostage and wants to shoot a dog it's like i can't alternate quick enough between these two dynamics here
1: no it's super it's super strange getting way back to what i started before i went on that long tangent is that the next scene that Charlize is in she's left to babysit terry hatcher after we find out that terry hatcher's in on it terry hatcher and Charlize and james spader are in a hotel room together, and James Spader is going to go. Where is he going? To the house to get the money, right from the closet.
0: Yeah, so that's another thing that we've left out of the details of sort of the whole murder plot is that she's going to pay them thirty grand, and she'll get the life insurance paid off. No, her no, husband. no. She's
1: getting half the life insurance. Like, there, she's getting a life insurance check and giving them half of that too. Oh, Jesus, is it worth it? Like, well, I don't she's, know she's paying point. him alimony, so like, I mm-hmm. guess it's just worth it because he's also creepy. I mean, if he's inviting himself oh, yeah, over and sort of being rapey. You're like, right. She's paying I him. She has to deal with him. The life insurance money is stuff that she wouldn't have otherwise. So I guess maybe it's just strange that she kept the money in the house. Like if she had just known that James
0: Spader was gonna show up to murder her husband, why didn't she just say go to the s-, you know and the money is in the safe? You know, like I'll leave the money in the safe. That's Whoever the comes thing. to the house.
1: That's the whole thing. Though is that like she's saying I didn't know that you were gonna kill him in the house. I like, feel like why didn't you take the money out? Well, she's like well, I didn't know you were gonna kill him there. It's just another <laughs> complication or bad communication where just like, just say, hey, that money you want is in the safe, and if you're going to kill him at the house, also take the money or something.
0: Yeah, or why didn't James Spader say, you know, drop the money here, then we'll have a deal. Like, who really, do you get paid after the hit? I always thought it was before the hit. I mean, I don't know. I do know that in Suicide Squad, Deadshot wouldn't shoot <laughs> until he was paid, so to I to
1: direct deposit on his phone. Yeah, I go by those rules. James Spader leaves to go get the money, and Charlize is on the bed, because she basically flies down on the bed like the whole scene I was just watching her <sighs> Not just because we're watching this for that, but, like, she's doing more interesting things here than James Spader and Terry Hatcher are basically just, like, yelling at each other. Like, she's, like, flopping around, just, like, sort of like this, like, almost like a little kid, right? Like, because James Spader's significantly older than her. Like, she's 20, maybe, but she looks way older than 20. Like, and not, like, Mm -hmm. in a bad way. Like, in a, like, a, look how confident an adult she is. You know what I mean? Like, just, like, Mm -hmm. how Cage did never looked 18. She really doesn't look like she's just, like, a kid.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of that might have to do with, like, her stature. She's tall, like, She's a pretty tall person, and so I think she's, she's just five ten. She just exudes that sort of confidence and way she carries herself. But I, I agree. I love the way she's like using the scenery and like walking around the set and flopping yeah. on the bed or whatever. Like, what does kind of suck is she is just kind of furniture in this movie, right? Which kind of blows. But what is kind of cool is like, I think she knows that and she's using it in a way and she's like acting like furniture at times and, you know, if you can find anything to do that draws the attention of the viewer, that's I think that's a good thing. And she keeps it entertaining as opposed to just two people yelling at each other.
1: One thing that I liked of that earlier scene where she's, you know, in her underwear and James Spader's sort of talking down to her you know, abusive or whatever, is that he says there's a a cool line that I like where he says something like, you're not too tall the rest of the world is just too short for you like there's nothing (laughs) wrong with you you're perfect it's the rest of the world that has a problem if they can't handle you considering how much of an object she's treated as in this movie like that's kind of empowering like you get it like you're not doing anything wrong i'm gonna wind up killing you later but it's not your fault like you're perfect as you are which i thought was kind of cool
0: but she gets shot by terry he he doesn't shoot her he's like a mercy kill right
1: but yeah but i mean i feel like i don't think their relationship was gonna last no
0: probably not i mean i don't think they're gonna end up killing each other. You know, he was probably just gonna skip out on her with all the money or right. something. But yeah, I, I feel like, you know, not driving her to the hospital, I guess, yeah, I guess that's the same thing as pulling the trigger.
1: He leaves to go get the money and she's there on the bed and she just like she basically turns into like a jungle cat kind of, right? And she's just like <laughs> taunting Terry Hatcher. Animal I wrote down she's animalistic. Like she's just like, well, look how much power we have and look look how much look how little power you have.
0: Oh and then she starts talking about how good her ex-husband was right or something like i don't know why you wanted to get rid of that guy
1: like he's so good or something
0: like she's she's like rubbing it in her face like i slept with your dead ex-husband that you had me kill
1: terri starts starts like sort of respond to her and charlize shuts her down quick i don't give a shit about
0: roy but those detectives they were nice to me i don't want to be a part of them being killed you know what you shouldn't have left our money in your closet.
1: Well, how was I supposed to know you were gonna shoot Roy in my house? Don't raise your voice at me. Can't you call it all? No! Now lower your voice, you little bitch. What did you call me? A bitch? when she says that line you're like oh right like Charlize is a bad guy like it's not like she's not like a good person like she's a villain and like that's super cool that she's in her first speaking part she is basically not a killer but she's sort of like an ice cold killer like she's just like I'm going to win you're gonna lose and you have nothing to say about it. So you know what I started thinking
0: around this scene this isn't quite the recast game but it's something similar and it's sort of combining characters and like what I wanted to do is combine Charlize Theron and and James Spader's character into one person, and okay. have it be played by Charlize, okay. and have Terry Hatcher hire her to kill her husband, but then have her also have slept with her, and you know all the same thing. But she also is the killer or the mastermind, and we just sort of get rid of James Spader because then this would have been like a really great climax. Like you could have had it all come out here. I don't know. I just thought that would have worked for me a little better it would have given Charlize more to do and I do like her as the villain and you know we'll get her again in Fate of the Furious as a villain but I think it's not going to really be until then that she like really puts on this hat in this way where she's like Chewing in the scenery and I don't know like almost like a Batman villain at one point like yeah. I, I, I'm i going back to that because of James Spader but I do feel like a lot of these are cartoon characters and she really uh, does a good job of expressing that type of tone
1: and then it's through that tone it's through that embodying the villain that we have this like incredible fight where they're just like throwing each other into things and like punching each other and really going all out and it's great and I realized as we're recording this we're about to announce the Keanu Club Awards are open for for voting, which I think voting probably is either still open right now or maybe just closed. I want to start tracking things in real time in a document and do, like, best fight, because, like, who like, I this one might be tough to, to top because, like, it's just great.
0: I think we're seeing some sparks of Atomic Blonde here, you know? Oh, no, <laughs> that
1: also might be tough to top, so yeah, yes, yes, you see where that comes from, absolutely. But it
0: is really cool to see her do action here, even if it's just this one scene, because she's gonna go on to do like Mad Max down the line like she you know like it's just great that she's very versatile and she gets to be aggressive here and fight and stuff and you know just like a lot of times I feel like a lot of this stuff is just regulated to guys and movies. like you don't really get to see girls kick each other's asses all that much No, I mean it's just equality but also like a kind of fun just to see it mixed up a little bit
1: that's why that, to give a shout out to another show on our network Too Fast Too Forever in Furious 6 or Fast and Furious 6 when Michelle Rodriguez and Gina Carano have that fight in the subway. You're like, oh, like yes. I didn't know how much I wanted to see like two badass women just like go at it in a movie like this because you don't think about how cool it can be just because nobody does it. And then like you see it in that movie or in this movie, you're like, oh right, like why isn't this happening more? Because you look at Terry Hatcher. It's not like you see like oh she could really go. You know what I mean? Like it's not like she like has this intimidating presence, but like she holds her own. Like, it's great.
0: Yeah, because her character is an Olympic athlete, so she's got stamina, she's got strength, she's got all that. St- Stuff. I mean, skiing—you gotta develop like strength, arm strength, like everything. Core—it's like a lot of core stuff. I feel yeah. <laughs> so. So she is probably in great shape and probably knows a few fighting moves too you know if she's had to deal with olympic coaches i'm sure she's had to fight off a few of them she's probably developed like a couple moves to to pull but yeah and then charlize who knows what her character's background we get zero from her so for all we know she could be special forces she literally comes from nowhere like yep. so it's cool to just know like she's just this wild crazy person deep down and she's just going to explode
1: and rage, the fight ends as like the Charlize pull a gun. There's a gun that comes from somewhere. I
0: think the gun comes early,
1: and then it like
0: kicks off the okay. fight.
1: Maybe I think. And it, Yeah. And uh, there's a struggle, and we cut outside the hotel room, and we just hear a shot and a scream, and then Terry Hatcher sprints out, and we see Charlize in her like all white jumpsuit, all white pantsuit, or whatever. Just with this huge red blood stain on her side. And it reminds me, I've I've been thinking a lot lately as I record this of Happy Death Day, which I loved. But you know, in that movie, you know, Tree is wearing that white dress, and you're like, oh, she's uh-huh. gonna get murdered in that white dress. And like here again, like it's this sort of this like, not not that she's pure, but like it's this like she is sort of like this unblemished statuesque eastern european woman model hitman whatever right and then like to see her so obviously marred and like irreparably to the point where she's gonna get killed in a couple minutes it's it's a cool visual and she you know chases after terry hatcher and shoots after her and then like we said earlier somehow stumbles across town (laughs) to show up james peter just like i need help you know what i liked
0: about her look is she kind of reminded me of like a ghost or like a ghost ninja or something like that at some point like she's wearing like that one piece yeah it's like almost (laughs) but it's almost like she's wearing like an x-men outfit like she almost looks like emma frost or something uh and that she's gonna turn to diamond at some point or like throw you a psychic blast or something but yeah and i do like how the red contrast to the white you know like when she's bleeding out like it's a very strong image there's something ghastly about it she gets all pale and stuff too so even she's turning white it's very sort of
1: horror movie ending for her character one thing i have a a quick question a sidetrack is that when they're fighting they cut to the hotel room below them and there's an old couple yeah is that peter boyle
0: i think that's lawrence tierney from reservoir
1: dogs oh okay the fucking thing (laughs) because his wife is like what are they doing up there and he's like maybe that's how they make love in tarzana which i don't know like that's in reference to but like all right like that's okay But it was just sort of funny, like, to see that. Like, that's a a thing that worked for me. Because, like, the whole movie, like, every character in this movie is crazy, sort of, Mm -hmm. right? Like, they're all, like, they've all got murder on their brain or, you know, cleaning... Or, like, Jeff Daniels, like, unhinged, trying to clean up the valley. And then just to see, like, a normal couple, like, what is going on up there? Like, I don't don't have any idea. Like, that was funny to me. Just sort of, like, the normal reaction to the madness that this movie sets as sort of, like, the status quo. (laughs) He's listed as older man,
0: and it is Lawrence (laughs) Tierney. The only reason I recognized him is because he's the guy and Reservoir Dogs and that this is such like a Pulp Fiction-y type of movie. Okay. I was like, that's like a Easter egg or something, I guess.
1: I thought, because I was, I have in my brain because uh, Peter Boyle was on one of the absolute, Best episodes of the X Files right around this time. I want to find out when. That and one of my favorite
0: out. all-time Cage Club films. Which movie? Uh,
1: Honeymoon in Vegas. Oh right, right, right. When they
0: go to Hawaii, he's the chief. Mm. Love show tunes
1: because <laughs> he's in, he's Clyde Bruckman in Clyde Bruckman's final repose, which is from '95, from season three, widely considered and by my like maybe my favorite episode, definitely definitely top five. It's just around that time, and just sort of like you know this kind old man or whatever. I was just like, oh maybe that's him, but it, Reservoir Dogs connection makes more sense. But they leave the hotel and they all go to this house and everything converges and I realized Keith Carradine and his female partner and I only mentioned that she's female partner because we mentioned her earlier and she has literally nothing to do in this movie. They're there investigating and James Spader shows up and kills both of them including uh, blowing kisses to sort of distract (laughs) Keith Carradine (laughs) and then shooting him. So like I feel like James Spader is making the most out of a terribly written character. Like I can't imagine how boring this guy is on the page. Like I feel like he's doing the best With absolutely nothing to work with that we've seen him be really good in sex lies and videotape we've seen him be good in other stuff there's probably nothing there and i'm giving him i don't know if this is true or not but i'm giving him all the credit in terms of doing something with this role and making it not great but better than it has any right to be
0: i'm gonna agree with you on that Uh, i think he's a great actor I think he probably found moments like the blowing the kisses or weird looks that he gives or just his straight up kind of menacing quality that he had. like he just has he just retains like this very like you can't really read him you know like I don't no. know there's just something blank about him that works for this guy it keeps him aloof like it makes him unpredictable he's a wild card <laughs> and it actually works in a lot of ways at times like he, he he his character is what i like about like the where the comedy comes out like the let the comedy come out of these stupid characters instead of like jokes and stuff like that or right. or, or, or situational humor yeah like let it just be like his mannerisms and his thing with the watch which i don't think he did enough that's the one thing i feel like he really could have pushed like before he went into that house to kill the two cops he should have given himself a minute. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um, something like that. Uh, it's it's very strange. So Eric Stoltz shows up. James Vader grabs the badge to show that he's a cop. And I realize in this moment that Eric Stoltz, in movie number two, is a better cop than we had in any Cage movie. 80 movies in or whatever, Eric Stoltz is a better cop, a better detective, more observant, better at his job. And he's basically like a rookie cop <laughs> than any cop. Like the like the only ones that, you know, are high watermark for Cage Club was Timothy Olyphant and Delroy Lindo in yep, Gone in 60 Gone in Seconds. Right? seconds. But like they just they're sort of just good at what they do. Like he's like finding clues and like following up on leads and like. Yeah. He knows actually... what's more important
0: to yeah. keep your you know like he's like let's not bust this little like massage parlor. Like right. what's the point of that? Like it's just a mas- you know like that's a nothing
1: like this is a
0: murder. Like We got to focus on the murder.
1: And he only makes it through this movie because Charlize shows up to distract James Spader from killing him. He goes outside and Danny Aiello shows up to sort of distract James Spader from killing him. And then he's still <laughs> gonna die and that's only when Terry Peppers or whatever the suicidal writer Teddy. shows up <laughs> Teddy Peppers shows up and like shoots and ultimately kills James Spader but like he has to be saved by three different people which I mean that's why he's sort of a rookie cop he's not good at what he does but he's still a good investigator which I, I sort of appreciated in terms of because you saw dumb cop after dumb cop after dumb cop Keanu Club's is a little bit better because Keanu played more cops and like yeah speed and all these other movies where he's like actually good at investigating but yeah, like point break point break but he here, you know, we, we get a, a good cop. He might be the high watermark. We'll have to see. But uh, he's, uh, he's a pretty good way to start things off.
0: What bothers me about this character is we never follow him home. We never see any family life. We don't know what he likes to do with his time off. Like, I just wish the movie was about him or something. Like, or more about him, or we spent more time with him. Like, why are we following his partner home when he never returns? Like, as soon as he gets that letter, he's out of the movie, if I'm not mistaken. Like, he's gone. Just write him out before you start writing the screenplay. If we followed good cop around more and then we'd probably be like way more invested in whether or not he's going to get shot for the third time because by the yep. third time I'm like he's obviously someone else is going to come it's just a matter of who they chose out of a hat to be the surprise guy to show up at the end and save his life
1: yep but so Charlize saves his life and then he's gonna uh, uh, James Spader's gonna mercy kill her and she asks for a minute and I was like oh as soon as she asked for a minute I'm like she's not gonna die here and I was like is she gonna make it through this movie she doesn't make it through this movie but she does escape all off the couch, yeah. Because that's when Danny Aiello shows up, right? And he gets distracted again, or no?
0: I can't remember. I got things mixed up. Spader comes back, and she's dying in the hotel room, and gets away, and runs down the street.
1: And then I think that's what happens, No, no, right? no, no, no. They're at the house. Oh, that's at the house. That's at the house. Okay. She shows because she stumbles across town to the house, and then, okay, he's, then he's about to shoot her, and then the gun jams, and oh, he right. walks she's... away. Yeah. So
0: she runs outside. Stoltz shows up, then
1: Aiello shows up. Right. I think. Yes. yes. She sort of helped Spader get caught because he would have gotten away, but it became like this whole big thing. So her death is not really in vain, I don't think. But then there's a whole big yeah. shootout, and Teddy Pepper saves the day, and it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then what's weird is that Terry Hatcher gets away with it. Yeah. Not only
0: Terry Hatcher, but Eric Stoltz lets Danny Aiello leave with 30 grand. Yep. He's like, you could just go. Yeah. I was like, what do you mean you could just go? He, like, basically is like, put the cuffs on me, like, arrest me, officer. I'm ready to repent. And Eric Stoltz is like, nah, it's the
1: valley, pal. It's like, in this crazy mixed-up world, some Sometimes the bad guys are better than the good guys. Or like, I don't don't know, who knows? But yeah, so Terry Hatcher gets away with it, or at least she's like a free woman now. I don't know if she has, because she doesn't have the insurance money, she doesn't have the 30 grand, but she has like a new life, she's not caught, she doesn't go to jail for hiring hitmen to kill her husband. Danny Aiello gets away with the mousy assistant. Everybody else, and Eric Stoltz, I guess, is alive and okay, but like, everybody else dies.
0: Oh, the British guy gets knocked out and left at his house, so we never see him wake up. That's, that's
1: absolutely fine by me.
0: I guess now is as good a time as any to just mention the the guy who plays Teddy. This guy is like one of my favorite directors, Paul Mazursky. Like he is such a great director. I think he's since passed away. Stuff like Down and Out in Beverly Hills or Moon Over Parador, Moscow on the Hudson. I really enjoy his movies. I can't tell you how much. I never seen him act before. I didn't know he was an actor, and I kind of I can't stand him in this movie. And really, I feel kind of bad about that yeah I just feel like he's out of everybody
1: in the movie not that he's miscast but just that character
0: doesn't feel like it belongs well that's
1: that's I don't think it's his fault I mean what I did like is that we start off with a a cage moment in that he's shaving oh yes (laughs) I'm like oh because like he's so low build on Letterboxd he's like 12th and I was like oh he can't be important and then he's, he just shows up in every scene the whole movie he's just trying to give away this dog so that he can kill himself at his wife's grave or something I don't know but yeah like I agree like I don't think it's his fault that he's bad or that you don't like him I think it's just like there's no reason for him to exist in this hmm. because like literally anyone else could have saved the day like Jeff Daniels could have come and saved the day you know what I mean like that would have made more sense yeah
0: To save his partner Yeah Right before turning in his badge Forever or whatever Yeah Yeah I think you're probably right Like I I just think It's probably the character But I was just shocked Because of what a great director He is And how bad I felt His performance came across
1: Well Jeff Daniels Will have a chance To redeem himself He'll be in trial and error I think we're doing in two or three movies with well, Charlize. Whatever that is. Never so, heard of that. So he's back.
0: And Kramer's in that movie, too. Ooh. So
1: The only other note that I had about this movie was that Charlize's part was originally written for Daphne Deckers, hmm. who I don't know who she is. She's actually from Europe. She's like she was born somewhere like in Norway or Sweden or somewhere. She had conflicts or something. So the, the part went to Charlize. So like it's a sliding doors universe that we live in. where like, because <laughs> she was busy, Charlize is now a movie star and we're talking about her. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's, it's weird how things happen, but that's how we got here. And one other thing that I, I saw on IMDb that just is frustrating uh, in terms of the overall scope of what we're doing is that the most interesting, quote-unquote, interesting trivia, 14 of 14 people found it interesting, was that this is the first movie with a nude scene by Charlie Theron, and it's just like, oh okay like cool good job creepy guys like just thumbs upping that on imdb but that's true you know she is she is naked in this movie if you want to see that but
0: you know what vibe i kind of got at one point during this just because of how gratuitous everything was is uh wild things did you ever see wild Things? i've seen like the the,
1: the offending scenes in wild scene wild things when i was when i was younger i
0: mean it just has that
1: really trashy sort of dime store novel even the name two
0: days in the valley kind of just like it just grabs you and I feel like the title is even better than what it delivers yeah yeah it just got the same sort of like dirtiness from it it's just like we're just gonna be gratuitous and like boobs or nudity or blood or you know Mm -hmm. this is like we think this is cool like like the fucking art dealer's house gave me a goddamn headache because of how much like Crazy, cool, wacky shit is in it, you yeah. know, <laughs> like all the different sculptures
1: and, and stuff. And what's it's weird like... is that, like, he's even paying attention to the sculptures. Like the actor, the actor in in character <laughs> is like, "Wait, we're like, we're just leaving here." Like this, like outline of like a, a person spanking another person. Like this is just. He's like, all right, I guess, like, because if if you live there, you would just not pay second thought to any of it, right? But like, yeah, he's like, he, you can see him looking at the stuff around him, like, oh, I, we're 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 leaving this here, oh, okay. And I couldn't I couldn't tell if he was an art dealer or if those were his
0: pieces. Like, did he is he a sculptor? Like, that is so unclear whether he and if he is an art dealer, like, what art dealer keeps your inventory in your actual house? Like,
1: are those know. pieces that he's bought? Is he a collector? I, there you go. I'm just so
0: so confused by
1: it. And the other thing is that throughout this entire movie, Danny Aiello has a fear of dogs, and there's just dogs everywhere in this movie, so that's the only other like, sort of a <laughs> noteworthy thing to point out.
0: And the toupee, he looks way better with the toupee, I'm sorry, movie, but that is just a bad call. You're just, you're reaching for a moment where this person's trying to accept him for who he is. Finding
1: your inner beauty, like, just embracing who you are, <laughs> but yeah.
0: But don't lie about it. You should be like, you should be confident you can wear and rock that toupee, man. Like, you look good. Like, yep. be toupee boy. I don't that's know. Fine. Any other thoughts about Two Days on the Valley before we get to the recast game? You know, another movie this reminded me of around the same time that I enjoy way a lot more, with a lot less characters and is way funnier, but also kind of like violent, is Get Shorty. I feel like it's got kind of like a Get Shorty feel trying to go for it too, but you know, that had Barry Sonnenfeld behind the wheel in what some may claim like around his heyday, like he was really firing on all cylinders back in the 90s, so I don't know if this ever, this definitely doesn't reach that standard. I mean just watch the kind of stuff, like we mentioned in here that we like like the like the fight scene or you know, maybe just the Charlie Theron stuff, maybe some of the um, James Spader stuff. You know, looking back on it twenty years later, I can't believe how different I feel about this movie. So like in your
1: brain have you like been thinking, like, oh yeah, I like that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I
0: think I even mentioned in the last episode I was like, Yeah, next week's gonna be like a pretty good movie with a lot of like good actors and well you gonna remember gonna that it was an
1: ensemble piece. You got that part right, I know that for sure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I definitely expected to have a much better time revisiting this movie than I i did i I just really don't feel like it holds up
1: well we are past it next week is going to be that thing you do which is going to be a delight uh so Mm. i'm very excited for that but now time for the recast game this is fun we haven't done
0: games in the previous two actor podcasts so i'm really enjoying this so far so joey here we go we're gonna start with terry hatcher Let's okay. go with Becky first. Who okay. What do you have for Becky?
1: So, this is the first... I mean, we've only done this... I guess we've done this three times, because we've done it on the Affleck movie that we didn't release. Secret but, Pilot. The yeah, Secret Pilot. But that movie, and last week's, and this one. This is the first one I really have, like, multiples for everyone because I kept, like, oh. having... But, like, n- never really feeling right. Like, once I got, like, the right casting, I stopped. Yeah. So for, okay. for Terry Hatcher, I first wrote down Kristen Stewart, which I think okay. would be okay. And then I was like, well... And then I wrote down Jenna Malone, who you might know from The yep. Neon Demon. And then what I wound up on is Alison Williams from Get Out and from Girls. <laughs> nice. I think that she could just do that, like, oh, like, I can't, like... Because it, it's basically from Get Out in my brain where it, it's, like, that switch that's flipped where it's, like... Yeah. Like, she's innocent she's two you're, like, oh, she's in on it. Right.
0: Sorry, babe. Yeah, she's playing that role where she's all nice and sweet, but yep. then it's actually, no, I'm luring you to your death. <laughs> yep.
1: And as long as we have a... If we recast and we re- remake this movie, we need to have uh, another scene where she's, like, silently, creepily drinking milk on her bed. Like, that's from Get Out, which is just, like, super, super... <laughs> creepy and weird, but uh... or just
0: drinking everything through straws yep. just to give her like an extra yep. weirdness. Yep, I like that more than I. I like that. I like that more than my choice. Who was yours? I think I had Happy Death Day on the mind too much because oh. I watched it right before okay. this. But I'm going with the daughter of Birdie herself, Ruby Modine, oh. who plays her, um, the lead actress's roommate in that movie. I think she'd be good. She's got like that pep. She's got also like sort of that dark edge as well sort of that two-faced nature to her character sure. uh, and the look and i think she kind of has like a bit of the look as well so i'm going with her i think she's the youngest actress that, or actor that i've uh daughter i'm gonna mention tonight <laughs> all right so we got her done why mm-hmm. don't we move on how about we go let's let's okay so now let's go with um we'll go by story so let's let's do the danny aiello characters first and and let's so let's go with Danny Aiello
1: okay so I said earlier that I did James Gandolfini I also wrote down John Travolta because I was like oh this is kind of like a Pulp Fiction but what I wound up with which I think (laughs) it would be so bad Steven Seagal oh
0: my god
1: Like, he would be terrible, but that's a great choice. That's that's why, because I'm like, this is not... I don't think it's a great character. I think you sort of need someone who can be that, like... Because his whole thing is like, hey, I'm Italian, I'm going to cook you pasta. I just want to sort of see Steven Seagal in that role. I mean, if we're trying to make a good movie, I think... Travolta would be better. I think Gandolfini would be better. You know, in terms of recasting the part as it is, Stephen Segal.
0: Wow, I went I went a totally different direction with that because I found the role to sort of try and be more comical. I actually went with Zach Galifianakis. Oh, uh, <laughs> I actually had like a little ensemble idea with those three people in the kitchen. Okay, so he's okay. part of he's part of the three there. But I don't know. I just want I like when Galifianakis kind of like loses his patience and gets flustered and frustrated, and and he never really plays like a straight up bad guy so it'd be cool to kind of see him I like that uh, with like all the power in the room yeah next let's do the British guy Alan that, that they're in his house that he's like sort of holding him hostage
1: originally I wrote down uh, Rob Bryden from the oh, trip to Spain love trip it. to Italy. What I went to, and I'm not sure if this is better or worse because I think that there comes a point where like how many A-list celebrities can you cast in one of these movies but you know, they're whatever. I went with Jude Law which I think would work oh, well good, too. Good. Either one of those I'm okay with. Just like that like snarky British guy who like you kind of like but also kind of hate. Yeah, I love
0: Rob Bryden as that. I don't see him in enough American stuff. Yeah. He was on this HBO show called The Brink which I f- fucking love to this day oh, and everyone kind of hated that, you know. oh my god and I consider it one of the best TV shows ever that never got picked up but that's a whole other that podcast
1: that was from the, uh, the hallowed Sunday night of Ballers the Brink True Detective Season 2, which I, I wound up I really also liking love. Season season 2, <laughs> especially with my girl Rachel McAdams as Antigone Bezzerides.
0: I like your picks. I went sort of the Jude Law direction, I guess you could say, with uh, with my Alan, and I, I'm going with Loki, Tom Hiddleston.
1: Oh, okay.
0: I like him. At first I was thinking of a Doctor Who. I was going to pick a Doctor Who because they're just all these like loud British dudes that yell a lot, but I think Loki uh, or Tom Hiddleston could bring better dimension to calm down and quiet it up a little
1: bit. I really want to see like a mismatched buddy cop movie with Zach Galifianakis and Loki now and Tom Hiddleston like that would be great
0: I got a little bit of like a theory going on or a a method to my casting here the
1: next one you want to do is the the mousy assistant Susan yeah the assistant Susan to round this out yeah my decision for this is that I wanted to cast a beautiful actress that they could just sort of frizzy up my first pick was Olivia Cook, who was from Bates Motel she is the. Okay. She's not the blonde one that he has a crush on. She's the one with the oxygen tank. More recently, which I don't know if it's out yet. I think it's coming out early next year. Which I saw at Fantastic Fest. She's great in Thoroughbreds, which is really really fun. Oh, really, I really, just really saw good. the
0: trailer for that. Yes. That
1: looks awesome.
0: I've seen her in The Signal.
1: Oh yeah yeah yeah. Okay. What I wound up going with was Emma Stone. Oh nice. Because I think yeah. like I I she hasn't really I don't know mm-hmm. if she's done it in a while, but like she could definitely play that like sort of like frazzled like oh, I can't do anything right, but like all you have to do is like, take off. For glasses and like, oh, she's beautiful.
0: Didn't she sort of play like the nerd in the house bunny or something?
1: I haven't seen that. That's the Anna Farris movie? Yeah. I feel like she's done that a, a lot. She's done it before. I also wrote down Michelle Pfeiffer because it's because of New Year's Eve. Like you just need someone beautiful who can sort of play cute but also like smarter than she looks, and just like, I don't know. It's easy to do that one, but also really difficult to sort of nail it. I'm not sure if I yeah. I'm not super happy with it, but I'm going to go with Emma Stone.
0: All right. And you already know my pick because I kind of accidentally spoiled you it did. <laughs> last night while Googling, but I'm going with Kristen Shawl yep. for that role. I, yep. I just think it's like a perfect fit for her as an actress. And I mean, I don't, I don't really watch a lot of her lately. I just love her on Flight of the Concords. That's where like I really became a fan of hers as the obsessive fan mm-hmm. of the guys and stuff. I really think that she could pull this off really well. I think like her turn to sort of empowerment. Would be a lot stronger. Like, I could almost see her punching out Tom Hiddleston sure. at one point. Definitely, like, her and Zach Galifianakis, I feel, would have like, really good chemistry.
1: Yeah, and she's also really great in The Last Man on Earth, and also she's the best part of Bob's Burgers, which, you know, I took the animated uh, Gene Belcher for the movie last week. I knew that you would cast her as something. So when I was watching the movie, I'm like, even before I saw her, just when she was on the phone when he calls her from the car, and I was mm-hmm. like, oh, that's Kristen Schaal. Like, that's, so that was, <laughs> I think that's why I was uh, having a hard time casting it, because that's sort of. Perfect. <laughs> Thanks. Maybe I have a future as a casting. agent. who knows?
0: Okay, let's let's get the let's do the cops now. So uh, let's do Eric Stoltz.
1: West. So I cast the cops together, and it's weird that you actually brought it up. Well, because I, I sort of brought it up first, but I cast Gosling as Eric Stoltz and Russell Crowe <laughs> as Jeff Daniels because I'm like, this is the nice. It's the nice guys, and so I yeah. almost cast instead of Allison Williams for Terry Hatcher, I almost cast Margaret Qualley, who is the the damsel in distress in the nice guys. Mm-hmm. But I was like, two is enough. But just like that's the movie that he wanted to make with those characters I feel and mm-hmm. so when you brought it up earlier I was like well there we go <laughs> it's a small part for Gosling and also a small part for Russell Crowe but like I think that th- that's, that's the best version I think of that duo and I think that would work
0: I think you're absolutely right I think there's no reason to like just not implant those exact characters into this movie even right. I was also getting a little bit of a training day
1: vibe off of them like Denzel and Ethan oh. Hawke almost oh, but speaking of that sorry to interrupt you you know what else I got no, a no. really it's a low rent Gary Busey Keanu situation from oh, yes. Point Break also. Good call.
0: I didn't really cast these guys as like playing off each other in the way that you might have, mm-hmm. but I just kind of casted them more separately. But for Eric Stoltz, I went with Domhnall Gleason. Okay. You know that guy, right? Yeah. Like, he's I, what, did I just, a what
1: did I just see him in? Oh, he's an American maid. Yeah, yeah. Yep.
0: So he was just recently in that and like Ex Machina and yep, a lot yep. of great stuff. And I think partially I went with him because he's a ginger, like Eric Stoltz. like sure. They both got red hair, so it's kind of in that mode. And then for Jeff Daniels, I wanted to see a really destroyed bearded and maybe overweight Chris Pratt
1: oh okay and see
0: him get like dark and disturbed and (laughs) really like mean and everything I don't I I haven't seen him get angry on screen yet very interesting
1: I like that. Cool. So I think we only have two more. We have the Charlize one, which you can do last. We have the James Spader role, and we have the Paul Mazursky, Teddy Peppers role. Okay,
0: so let's do Teddy. Let's do the Paul Mazursky guy
1: now. So this was the this was the last minute a edi- last minute addition to our
0: casting. Last list. minute addition.
1: This is the suicidal writer. I cast him just because I think he looks like him, sort of, and because I have him on the brain because he's just on Mark Maron's podcast. Bo Bridges. I think he does oh, pretty well. That's pretty good.
0: Yeah, I was going for sort of something close to that at first. I was like, let me go with someone who's like really good and established to really beef up this role, but ultimately I had to go with my gut, and I went with Tommy Wiseau. (laughs) I think it would have been amazing. I think there's a bit of that in this character already.
1: (laughs) Yep, yep. Hmm? So I think that'll work. That'll work. Next! (laughs) James Spader. Lee. One minute man. I was back and forth between two people. Originally, I had Christoph Waltz. Oh my God. I didn't even think. Who I think would be really good. What I wound up with is Michael Pitt from Funny Games, from World Empire. Almost too handsome for his own good, demented killer sort of thing. Quiet confidence. Don't mess with him. I can see him wearing all white like I think he does in Funny Games. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Just like a... Yeah. sort of a perfect, unblemished psycho.
0: I actually only watched Boardwalk Empire up until his exit. I only watched the first season. Okay, I thought he was the core of that show. Uh, I really like that pick. I don't. I thought I saw him in something recently too, I can't remember, but he's a good actor I don't feel like I've seen enough of. I went a little different. I, it's funny, I, I had Gosling down at one point, but I was just like, no, I, nah, that just doesn't fit. Uh, I went a little older. This was also kind of tough. I had a couple suggestions, but this I actually tried to cast, like, for real. Who would I really want to see do this? and I kind of want to see Jeremy Renner play this role. Like oh. I don't know if that's a good casting, but he's got that thing behind the eyes sometimes like whether he's playing a good guy or a bad guy, like he just seems like you don't want to mess with him. And I think like he would have just like it wouldn't have been as funny, but I think it would have been scarier. Definitely. But that was definitely the one I struggled with the most cuz I just feel I like Spader get... nailed it too. Yeah. <laughs> like that's just a really hard one to recast.
1: It's also hard to gauge how old he is in this. Yeah. Like I feel like maybe 30 but also maybe 25 or maybe 40 like I don't know who to sort of like I feel like that could be played by a lot of people which sort of makes it easier and more difficult all at once
0: he just looks so drastically different than he does today I mean people look different as they age and everything but I was just like shocked when he came up on screen I was like whoa yeah he's
1: really young looking in this but he's very recognizable too still I think oh absolutely last part to recast the Charlize Theron Helga I originally had Marilyn Monroe right which I said then I went to Elle Fanning and I was like that's not quite but I was like who is basically the new hot blonde and I went with Margot Robbie but I still feel like there's probably a new Margot Robbie yeah you know what I mean like like if this was 2013 like Wolf of Wall Street time like this that would be her absolutely yeah but I feel like I'm probably missing out someone the other name I wrote down which I don't think that she I mean maybe is Kate Upton okay I'm not thrilled I think think Margot Robbie is a better pick I'm still not thrilled I feel like I'm missing someone obvious
0: yeah I this was a tough one because I don't really I mean there's the girl from Happy Death Day like she would have been great I don't know if this is exactly Like, it's hard. Like, I feel like... Like, I guess you could find someone new, but if we have to recast it with somebody who's already been in stuff, like, I also was thinking Margot Robbie, I was thinking, like, Jennifer Lawrence, you know, like, I don't know, like, it's weird. Ultimately, in the end, I took a page out of your notebook from last week. Oh, oh. I casted a cartoon character. Okay. I'm gonna send you the photo right now so you can see. Oh, boy. I don't know if you're aware of this movie Cool World. I am not. But there is a character, Kim Basinger plays her, and okay. the character's name is Hollywood, and she is like basically looks exactly like Charlize Theron in this movie, but she's a cartoon. I hate to do it, but I, again, I don't think like this is a very strong role to begin with. The movie could almost be made without it. It's unfortunate that she's just a sex object, and so that's what I did. I guess I just recast it with a sex object. This Hollywood, this just like kind of a um, the movie is sort of like mocking that whole concept of like chauvinism or anything. It's not a good movie don't watch cool world like it's not i mean brad pitt is in it but it's not good or anything but
1: i mean i just did what i had to do i guess
0: i don't feel good about it
1: (laughs) i was also thinking for this role when i wrote down Elle fanny i was also thinking like bella heathcote and abby lee the other models from neon demon Mm. and like i think they would might be like i also wrote down did i write down for this one i might have crossed it out riley keogh like i was basically thinking like either a model from the neon demon or any of the brides or the wives from mad max you know what i mean like they could all sort of like it's just but it's all like the same kind of pool of women you know i mean like it's just like all yeah sort of models turned actress because like you basically need someone physically flawless who can hold her own in a fight and who can be kind of like an ice cold killer sort of and like it's it's hard and i think the whole thing like you were saying is like she works in this because she's this brand new never before seen face right and like it's hard to do that here because like you we have to know somebody (laughs) like we just have to find somebody off the street basically which uh, sort of doesn't work
0: i mean yeah the one thing you really just got to get is like the strength like the someone who could kick like someone else his ass, I guess, like Amber Heard maybe or something? I don't know.
1: Oh, I like that. That could work. Maybe I'll go with her finally for the end. I less thoughts about Two Days in the Valley, or are we uh, set to move on to That Thing You Do next yeah, week? Yeah, I am ready to go hear some Oneeders. We found, just before we started recording this, that we found that there is a two and a half hour director's cut on Blu-ray So it's available to watch on Amazon, I think, right? Well, no,
0: so the theatrical cut, I can only find a theatrical cut on Amazon yet, but apparently this director's cut came out 10 years ago on DVD and I'm just finding out about it today, so.
1: Oh, actually, that thing you do is also on Stars. I don't know if... That's also the theatrical cut. Okay. Because that's what they run on television. Gotcha. So yeah, so there's an hour and 40 minute version. We're going to watch the two hour, 27 minute version. Who knew? Which has a lot more Charlize, so maybe a lot more songs. Or at least a lot more of that one song I'm super excited how many times did they play that song in the movie I'm gonna have to count we're gonna have to count
0: it I listened to it twice this morning that's all I know I've already heard it twice today as well so because
1: <laughs> I started watching the theatrical cut
0: and I listened to the song before I started watching the movie
1: So come back next week for That Thing You Do. But for all things Watch the Theron, including last week's episode of Children of the Corn 3, Urban Harvest, you can go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, or at cageclubpod on Twitter. You can find all the episodes of this show, all of our other shows, Too Fast, Too Forever launched a week ago with this show. On Monday, we are launching Magic Mike's The Channing Tatum Podcast, and then next Friday no, like two Thursdays from now or something. Yeah, two Thursdays from now, I think, on the twenty first, the Ryan Gosling podcast Boyfriend Material will come up. So all three of those shows, all episodes of this show, all of our other shows. So we talked about Cage Club, Keanu Club, Zack Attack, everything else on our network, CageClub.me, Facebook.com slash cage club, and at cage club pod on Twitter. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzie. And we'll see you next time on Watch the Therone. Watch the Throne. I'm gonna get it right one of these times. Watch the Throne. I love it here.